This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Hi, this is Andy Bauman from Tom Ham's Lighthouse. I'm the chair of San Diego Restaurant Week. Please join us for San Diego Restaurant Week from September 24th to October 1st, with lunches available from $10 to $20 and dinner available from $20 to $50. Visit SanDiegoRestaurantWeek.com to see more than 180 restaurants participating in Restaurant Week. Local SD, serving up the latest in the San Diego culinary world with a pinch of history. Welcome to Dine Local SD podcast number 20. Today I have Bivouac Cider Works. Um, they are North Park's first cidery and tap room right in the heart of downtown North Park, which is 30th Street. Um, an exciting craft production space, restaurant, tasting room, and neighborhood hangout. It's a debut project from first-time owners and best friends, 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 Laura Worm and Matthew Austin, who is also the master cider maker. Um, and we also have DJ Tinglin. How's it going? How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome in, guys. Hi, Thank you very for much for us. having us. <laughs> so cidery is um, a thing that I haven't really seen much of in San Diego, and I'm really excited because I personally love cider. So. <laughs> I'm really excited to see um, what happens there. Um, can you guys give me like a little maybe intro to how you guys met? And because I know this is your like a first time restaurant owners, and uh, this is kind of a fun um, endeavor for you. Yeah. You Go want ahead. me to take it? <laughs> um, so, what was your first question? So, <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, how did you guys meet, and what was the catalyst to? Deciding that you wanted to do create uh, open a restaurant and create you know a, a cidery. Um, so we have known each other for about three years, probably about five or six. Five or six, okay. <laughs> a little way off, <laughs> but lose, yeah, lose okay. track of time. Evidently, she's been counting every moment. <laughs> um, so I had been uh, interested in the fermentation business for a long time, and I was uh, working in the fly fishing industry. And owned a fly fishing company. And so I started uh, working on um, a a project to bring cider to San Diego. And I had been interested in cider from trips to France and Europe and uh, getting to taste a lot of ciders. And I uh, really wanted to find a good person that I knew offset a lot of my skills and I look no further than one of my best friends, um, Laura, and, and uh, we got together and started collaborating on coming up with kind of the the master plan for how we could get this accomplished and uh, started the process about 18 months ago, and we are about a month from being complete with our um, endeavor, so... I don't know about complete with our endeavor. Hopefully it lasts longer yeah. than my yeah. <laughs> starting the endeavor. Yeah. So um, uh, my family's been in the restaurant and catering business in San Diego for sixty years. Actually, my grandpa came here um with the Navy. He was a cook on a submarine. And um so he was a cook and then he opened a restaurant um in San Diego when it was brand new, like in the fifties. And my dad is a cook after him and my parents owned a 
restaurant and then large catering company in town. And um, I left when I was 18 and did sort of anything but the restaurant business and had no desire to come back into food service. Um, And I worked a lot in the alcohol industry after I left San Diego and, um, again, tried to get away from that and um, been gone for 15 years. And then I moved back to San Diego and um, kind of sucked her back in. Yeah, he sucked me back (laughs) in. He said, you know, let's get this project started. We were both super into adventure, camping, climbing, outdoor nature, you know, and he's into homebrewing and I'm super into food. And so it was kind of a natural um, relationship between the two of us in terms of what we were interested in and our vibe and our culture and our values, really, um, and wanting to be a part of the business community in San Diego. Um, so uh, I resisted a little bit, but then he, he sucked me in, and it's been really a, a I'm really pretty persuasive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you've had some history, and so you're kind of more the, the in a way, the restaurant uh, a little bit of background, you know a little bit about that, right? That's right, yeah. A little a, bit with the, I was you a, know, growing up in it. Sure, I was a hostess <laughs> when I was four years old, and, you know, I was talking about being a dishwasher when I was 10. I did mm-hmm. not like that job as much, but I, <laughs> I appreciate what a dishwasher does. Um, but, yeah, so growing up in it, and, um, you know, I, I've definitely got the experience and a, a love, love-hate relationship, but a love right. for it, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you had a little bit of space from it, so you were able to come back and, and have something that was your own. That's right. That's right. Um, so how long have you been brewing? Uh, about 10 years. 10 years. So, well, 10 years of dedicatedness. I started screwing around with fermenting stuff when I was like 16 and making peach wine and and uh, apple wine <laughs> you know, and stuff in Missouri. Do. Back when he was in prison. Bruno. Yeah, Bruno. But none of that was very good. It takes a long time to learn how to make... Uh, really high quality product and uh, it's pretty rigorous uh, understanding of a mixed discipline of uh, science and agriculture and uh, understanding exactly what's going on when you're trying to make products. So it took a while. (laughs) Yeah. So how long, how long did it take you to, um, to figure, you know, figure out when was that, when did you decide that it was something that you wanted to really pursue as Uh, about eight years ago, I would say. Um, And, we uh, used to make uh, beer in, in gallon batches, and so one year I did about 120 batches of beer in a single year and uh, had a lot of friends who appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I will drink with you. I will drink. I will come try this <laughs> yeah. substance that you think is good. <laughs> um, when did you switch from beer to cider? Uh, about four or five years ago, and it was kind of a – a mixed bag. So I still do some home brewing on beer. I still make some home home brew wine. Uh, but the focus has been on cider and perfecting recipes that we could commercialize and bring out to people at a, a high level. Cider is super exciting because it offers um, a really wide variety of flavors and alcohol levels. And um, it can kind of be a champagne alternative, a wine alternative, a beer alternative. And obviously, it's naturally gluten-free, so that attracts to a, a lot of people these days. Um, and just offers sort of a beverage that um, is, in the historical sense, traditional. It has a long history in the United States and a long history in Europe, but it hasn't been around Southern California um, recently. And so we're like really happy to introduce people. And there's going to be a lot of education component in our tap room. You know, when people come in, 
we want them to know about the history and culture behind cider, the different styles of cider, the opportunities in it, um, and just kind of open people's minds and taste buds and get them to try something new, and hopefully they'll love it. Okay, so tell me, tell me about the cider that you guys are brewing. So um, cider, very similar to beer. You know, you have IPAs and Kolsch's and lagers, and um, cider has, uh, on a global scale— all the types and styles that beer does. It's just that most people haven't experienced it and most people um, haven't even heard of it. So um, we're going to be doing ciders uh, from around the world with a California twist. So we're going to be making uh, French-style cider, which is um, something that pairs very well with food. Uh, it has higher tannins, higher acids. It's a lot more like um, good wine. And we'll be doing some more fruity style stuff that is similar to the Scandinavian countries that uh, has a lot more similarity, although it's it's better, but wine cooler-esque. In Spain, they make uh, what would be the equivalent of like Belgian sours with cider. Um, so we'll be having a, a Spanish-style cidre um, in the tasting room. And uh, we're really just going to infuse sort of our travel ethos and a lot of the experiences we've had. And um, Laura actually lived in Australia for a while. And, and England. And England for a while. Drank a lot of cider yeah. <laughs> in those two and, places. And got to experience the cider culture there. And we're going to try and pull from from each of those cultures and – uh, bring it into our California lifestyle and California taste buds and pull from the craft beer industry here and make some really good hop ciders and um yeah i'm be- really I'm really excited to 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 learn more about it because I'm gluten free for one so whenever i go I go out with my friends and we go to somewhere and they they often only have one type of cider right and so I'm sitting there. You know, drinking a really super sweet, super sweet <laughs> cider, and I'm like, I, I can have one or two. Right. You know, two. It's literally and then, been our conversation the whole time. Like in the tap room, we're we're also going to have beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have some great local San Diego beers, Mike Hess. You know, c- stuff in the North Park community. Um, so beer drinkers will have something to find options, there. Yeah, yeah and we're going to have a great wine list. Um, and we're going to have a small craft cocktail component. Um, but we're going to have a wide variety of ciders so people who are gluten-free or just love cider can have more than just one option, you know. And the the real kind of benefit and cool thing of having a tap room is that Matt can do some experimental stuff, barrel aging, um, you know, play around with science and fermentation and and funky, whether it be traditional techniques or whether it be just San Diego we do things wild, let's give this a shot, you know. Play and, around with yeah, the Yeah, and then we can serve it. And if, if people love it, great. And if they don't, well, okay, that was an experiment, you know. Yeah. But um, we'll have our sort of core stuff that we know everybody loves, and that's that's perfect, I guess you could say. Um, and then we'll have some room for him to play. Yeah, it's super exciting. Because when you talk, sorry, you talk about like the, you know, the um, comparing to specific types of beer – I don't, you know, like I don't know what those are because I've never had been able to taste them or right. drink them. So it's kind of fun to to look forward to being able to learn a lot more. Of like, you can kind of explain this as in this is going to be similar to this, but I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll try it from the cider side. 
and taste it and see how that goes. But Right, and that was one of the biggest reasons we uh, wanted to have uh, such a, a good food accompaniment with our ciders and a tap room space instead of starting in a warehouse somewhere and, and hoping people found us was there is a huge amount of uh, lack of knowledge and, and lack of um, being presented with the options that are available. So if we can uh, have a controlled environment where we can serve as both uh, introduction and education um, on the ciders, then people that either were interested or had had stuff other places or had never even thought, hey, I might be a cider drinker, um, can find out what kind of options there are. Right. They don't have to just be only like the sweet. They can be introduced to the other types and right. maybe like it because, you know, the really like dry sweet stuff cider. Is... So we're going right. to <laughs> yeah. have some sweet ciders as well. Um, but my personal taste buds and, and what I think um, the cider industry should skew towards is a lot drier stuff, which is much more similar to most of the European ciders. Yeah. And, and I, cider, a lot of people don't know. I, some people know maybe, but it pairs really well with food. Yeah. And um, so we thought, you know, just doing a tap room without a restaurant, without um, an amazing chef uh, would be missing an opportunity both to introduce people to the food pairings and to just really accentuate the cider. Yeah. So speaking of food. <laughs> so you guys brought so you, your um, your brother is the executive chef that. Yes. He also has been working in the industry for a really long time. He has. Yeah. So um, my parents were into child labor. And <laughs> <laughs> so they put all of us kids to work super young. And so we've all done pretty much every job there could possibly be in the restaurant business. So um, I escaped and left town, but my brother wasn't so lucky and uh, my parents roped him into their business. So um, they own Becker's Catering, um, a great catering company here in town. And so my brother's the executive chef for the catering company. And um, when Matt and I were getting involved in, you know, starting this project and then when we decided on North Park and we decided on the the restaurant to, to go with the tap room, um, I immediately called my brother who's um, a great chef, but a really great businessman. And um, he really has the sort of technical um, know-how in running a kitchen and managing costs and setting up um, equipment and sort of things that might not be my expertise for sure. I call him a food engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just um, a really smart guy. And so um, we immediately called him and sat down with them and we were like, Scott, we really want you involved in this project. You know, are you ready to come along for the ride? And um, Bivouac's uh, motto is embrace your adventure. And this has sort of been all of our individual adventures. Um, so anyway, he agreed to come along and um, he just helped us find the space, set up the space, um, design the kitchen, um, you know, put a lot of thought into what was important to us in designing a menu and choosing a chef um, that would complement or accentuate or um, carry through the message, really. And, um, you know, as I said, cider is gluten-free. And so um, we know we're going to have a lot of gluten-free people who are attracted to the tap room. And, you know, Matt and I are action adventure people and really interested in health and fresh local San Diego, California cuisine. Um, so Scott helped us get set up and then we got to search um, for an amazing chef uh, who's going to be 
on site and, you know, coming up with the recipes and designing the menu and delivering that um, great food to San Diego. Um, and I sort of started networking, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, I started going out a lot and getting to know a lot of the chefs in the community and getting to know a lot of the restaurants in the community. And um, I'd heard about DJ for a while. He's worked at some of my favorite restaurants, Jordan and Whisk and Ladle and Prep Kitchen and um, places that I feel really um, exemplify the best of what San Diego food has to offer, farm to table or, you know, taking fresh ingredients and um, respecting the food and um, then making it uh, delicious and approachable for a San Diego community, but a little bit elevated. Um, so anyway, DJ and I met and um, we were introduced by some mutual friends and um, we talked a little bit about his background and his feelings about food. And um, we knew immediately that this was the perfect guy for the yeah. project. So what are your feelings? Feeling really good. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a very exciting project. I mean, I've never really worked with this type of, you know, situation before where there's a tap room and, you know, on-site, you know, fermenting and brewing. And it's very exciting, especially with the cider because I can't have beer because I have gout. So oh. I turned into cider about two to three years ago. And every time I go out, I mean, I still do my liquor, but <laughs> cider is my option when it comes to, you know, uh, substitute for beer. So it's really exciting to start thinking about pairing it because it definitely you start thinking about like how you would pair stuff with wine which is kind of easy but same thing like there's types of cider that he's going to be doing that will be a little tricky to pair with but that's the exciting part when it comes to food pairing and trying to come up with new dishes for the menu yeah so <laughs> i'm excited to see do you have um a couple things that maybe you can mention because i know the you guys are not i don't know if you want to mention them yet but um I know there, there's a couple things that you gave me on this menu that I don't know if anybody's seen yet, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I counted the menu a while ago, and it's about, like, 80% gluten-free, so it's pretty cool, and at least 50% vegan, vegetarian, too, so definitely a lot of options for all sorts of diners, and we have, uh, on our sandwich side and our entree side, we have all the big proteins for anybody who's hungry for more than just table-share food. Awesome. Our... our- sort of thought of the menu is that um, we've got a lot of shared items. Um, I guess, again, going into this, I looked at the North Park community, and um, North Park does um, burgers really well, tacos, pizza. Um, there's, you know, standalone, individual, one type of food-focused places all over North Park, and they're amazing. Like, everybody loves city tacos. Um, but there was sort of a lack of a place where – a group of people could go and no matter what you're feeling or no matter what your taste buds are feeling that day, you could find something. And um, not to mention have a person who's gluten-free, a person who's vegan, and a person who wants a burger all be able to sit down at a table and, and share food. Um, and so that's really what's you know been a, a focus of a lot of our conversations um, of what we wanted to do with this menu. So we have a, a large component of shared items and then we've got some sandwiches and cool interesting salads and then some main dishes that are you know highlight dj's expertise right um, and, one, and one of the cool things about dj's uh kind of our our brand ethos and uh a lot of our ciders are about um kind of dealing with agriculture and uh working with some uh, local orchards in California to get some custom special apples that aren't available 
all over the country. And he grew up in the Philippines and they foraged for food more or less. Yeah. Had a working farm as his uh, sort of uh, kitchen. Yeah. I mean, growing up in the Philippines, you know, farm to table is not a thing. It's a lifestyle, (laughs) you know, Um, waking up, feeding the chickens, going to the wet market, you know, and, you know, having avocado tree, bunch of different coffee plants and guava and pineapple and chayote, hearts of palm, just like within footsteps of your house. You know, it's it's definitely a cool thing growing up in a different country and having that perspective on food and respecting nature and sustainability because we only get what we need. You know, we don't even have refrigeration, you know, because you're like, what are you going to do with leftovers? There's no leftovers. You, you harvest what you need, you cook what you need, and then you just eat it and you go about it the next day. So definitely have so much respect with local farmers, sustainability, and just not having too much excess of stuff. You know, I think that's what's one thing wrong with our food system is just there's too much of everything. You know, not a lot of people think about the little waste here and there that can, you know, dramatically change our environment. Right. So that really ties in with uh, kind of our uh, wonder ethos and camping and campfire food. And, you know, one of the dishes that I uh, really appreciate they came up with was a amazing trout um, that is something that I would try and cook if I was out fishing somewhere and had a campfire set up mm, and probably wouldn't come out quite prob- as good. probably would not <laughs> come out as good as his but um, you know it's it's cool to see all that coming into our menu and tying in with our ciders and and just really providing sort of uh, rustic pub elegant food at at the same time that's going to really make uh the experience in the in the tasting room and the tap room something that I think a lot of people will will um connect with. Right. So I've seen your guys's whole brand identity is really um it's really full circle. Like it ties into every single piece of the the restaurant and tap room. Um so maybe can you tell everybody what Bivouac how you came up with Bivouac and and what yeah. what it means? Uh, so bivouac um, is a originally a, a French word, and it is basically a temporary encampment. Um, so it um, kind of ties into everything about uh, our our brand, really, in that we are trying to be explorers. We're exploring in cider. We're exploring in food. Um, we are bringing. Uh, our travels and the kind of world palette for cider here um, in, in a noun form. Um, if you've ever seen people climbing and, and sleeping on the side of a mountain in those little kind of triangles that yeah. look scary as <laughs> all get out, uh, those are also called bivouacs. So uh, a lot of people in the military are familiar with the word when they go out from base and, and kind of do uh, overnight um, stays places they call it bivouacking and uh, a lot of people in the, the climbing and outdoor community know the term but um it it is something that people are unfamiliar with and it's uh funny to hear people pronounce it sometimes yeah, we've got a lot of different variations <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it really just embodies our sort of sense of sense of adventure and sense of exploration and uh we want to apply that both in our tap room, but also to the community of, of cider drinkers and and non cider drinkers. Try stuff, 
um, it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Get out and be adventurous, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so the, the ins- so the, you're doing the build out right now. You're hoping to open in September. We all know how restaurants, yes. we don't want to let anybody down, of course. Right. Um, but what is, what's kind of the look and feel of the inside? What do you, what are you going to experience when you walk in there? Um, so we, we have an amazing design group that we're working with, Texture, um, and they are San Diego based, super creative, um, longtime friends of Matt. Um, and they, when we sat down and met with them originally, we kind of told them about, again, our values, about what Bivouac meant to us, what we were hoping to embody in this tap room and like the, the sense of adventure, the outdoor spirit. Um, and we kind of did a, a brain dump to them and then they, they came up with this design that was just I don't know, Matt will probably tell you I'm a super opinionated person. <laughs> but um, no. When, no, you? No. When they presented this design to us, I was like, I, I literally don't have a comment. It's beautiful and perfect and just, like, nailed every aspect of, of what we really were going for in this tap room. So um, we, like, we're bringing in a lot of elements of nature, um, industrial, like, wood, steel, leather, climbing rope, um, yeah, so I, I actually have a master's in architecture and went to school with uh, the primary um, people at, at this company, and I think they have the split screen going. But um, we're bringing in uh, some granite and stone uh, and some of the elements of um, dividing and uh, segregating the restaurant are, are going to be using a lot of natural materials that – you probably haven't seen uh, used in a restaurant space before. But one of the um, coolest elements to me about the restaurant is there's a lot of, uh, we'll call them convertibles. So uh, we have a, a shared communal table that uh, the leaves drop on at night and it becomes a bar rail. So as we sort of transition into more of a after-hours spot, we can fit more people in. And it really sort of, again, ties back in with the bivouac theme of being uh, sort of utilitarian and... Um, a little bit temporary. A little mm-hmm. temporary. Uh, Movable. And, right. And so that, that really ties in with our restaurant. We have uh, a lot of brass and um, some some higher-end uh, materials that kind of elevate the interior space. But um, overall, what we were trying to do is... If we were setting up uh, a restaurant in the middle of the woods uh, and inviting all the coolest and, um, you know, artistic people in San Diego, what would that feel like? What would that look like? So um, we have some constellation walls that have backlighting and uh, it's just overall I think people are going to come in and be uh, pretty – uh, excited when they enter the space and, and pretty connected with uh, the outdoors and and uh, at at the same time not feel like they're in a, a warehouse somewhere where, you know, they're uh, a lot of the, the breweries. Um, and this was one of the other things we talked about a lot. You know, a lot of the breweries are, are man havens and uh, they don't really cater to women at all and women don't feel... 
Just very industrial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Women don't feel like uh, they want to spend a lot of time in those places. And um, unlike beer, which is about 80-20 on male-female, cider is about 50-50 from a consumer base. And so it was really important to speak to women and make them feel like they had a, a space that they could come in and enjoy and and be a part of and not uh, such a, a bro haven. Right. <laughs> Matt came up with a phrase that I think perfectly explains our design element and maybe our relationship. Um, rugged meets refined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Obviously, she's I'm a super rugged. rugged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a rugged one. Um, well, it seems like it's really going to be an experience um, in that space, you know, walking into something and being able to see all the different elements and kind of um, feel like you're not in a, you know, a production facility because you guys are producing all the cider there as well. Right. So you have a restaurant, tap room, re- and production, production facility. facility. We're going to be very, very close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Get it's cozy, a, guys. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's cozy. a tight space. When we when we first met DJ, I was like, um, full disclosure, I, I have to tell you one thing. He's like, okay. And I was like, the kitchen's super small. <laughs> He's like, okay, no problem. Yeah. Like, I've worked in small spaces before. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then he came. He's like, it's a small kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> that thing's tight. Yeah. Very tight. <laughs> tight. But it's great because, uh, you know, we got a, a footprint there in, in North Park and we were able to kind of get all the function uh, that we needed out of it, it through really good planning, which, you know, that's sort of similar to going on a, a good camping trip is yes. bare, bare essentials. <laughs> um, but, you know, the the fermentation tanks a lot of them are sort of in a, a backspace but we have three of our bigger ones out in the tap room area so one of the bar rails is uh literally about three feet from uh the tank so you're sitting there and we have product brewing right in front of you and we'll also be making some uh red wines on site uh that we'll be serving so uh, i think that for someone that has uh, spent time in breweries, they'll see a lot of um, similar equipment and similar uh, things going on. Um, but cider making is sort of halfway in between uh, wine and beer making. So for people familiar with wineries, they're going to see a lot of uh, wine equipment and uh, wine processes that we're applying to cider as well. So if you're if you're already into wine or beer, uh, I think it's going to be exciting for a lot of people to kind of see a little bit different spin on just that one industry. How long does it take from beginning to end? Um, oh boy, that's a that loaded process. question. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> is that its own podcast? Is that oh yeah. Its own podcast? So we'll uh, so our ciders that will be producing on site will run anywhere from about 20 days of uh, fermentation up to things that we're barrel aging for three, six months. Okay. Um, we'll be barrel aging stuff in um, some bourbon barrels. Um, we're importing some French wine barrels and some Portuguese wine barrels. Uh, we have a couple tequila barrels coming that we're, we're going to be doing stuff hey. in right now. 
right now we have an awesome uh, all bittersweet uh, cider that's aging in a petite Verdot barrel that's going to have a little petite Verdot uh, blended back in with it. So yeah, you got a lot of options. That's yeah. going to be pretty exciting. <laughs> it's be really fun. Um, so how at in the beginning, I guess, how many are you going to have available? Uh, so when we open, we're going to have about uh, five. Um, standard ciders on tap, and then we'll have four or five experimental um, slash a few things in 750 milliliter bottles. And then you guys are planning on selling the product in, or bottling and yeah, so canning? We're, we're gonna be, <laughs> yeah, so uh, starting off, we're going to be distributing in kegs um, to bars that are interested in our product. Uh, if any of you are out there, please contact us. <laughs> um, but We'll have uh, three or four varieties that are being distributed in San Diego fairly quickly. And then uh, later on, um, probably in the spring, we'll be releasing some stuff in other package sizes. We also have a pretty cool uh, thing that we're going to be able to offer, and that's brandy. Um, And it's um, something, an alcohol that not a lot of people know about. Um, And I'll let Matt talk a little bit about the fermentation of brandy, but... um, in the tap room, we're super excited about it because it offers um, an opportunity for us to do craft cocktails. And um, so having cider, beer, wine, and this craft cocktail uh, menu, I think is going to offer a wide variety of options. And um, we are going to announce soon, we've got um, a really, really awesome bartender um, from one of my favorite places in town who's an amazing craft cocktail, I don't know, what do you call them? Mixologist. Mixologist, Mixologist, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Creator Um, of cocktails. Creator of cocktails. Amazing mixologist who's really um, super, super popular in San Diego, but really getting a national name. Um, And uh, he's going to come on and and design our craft cocktail menu and help us just deliver a really awesome bar program. And um, we're super excited about that. So we'll probably be announcing that in the next week or two. That's going to be great. Yeah, so – in addition to cider, um, we're going to be taking some of our uh, blends of our cider juices and some uh, other wild fermented fruit and be making some eau de vies and brandies. Uh, What's an eau de vie? Uh, it is. <laughs> Stop using fancy words. <laughs> so, it... Judy, can you bring that up on the screen, please? I don't know what that is. Pronunciation. <laughs> Use in a sentence, please. Yeah, where's where's Wikipedia when you need it? Um, so if you can imagine, have you had very many brandies? Mm, had a couple. Okay. So brandy is basically, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of uh, it, it. It's kind of associated with France as well, but um, they're basically tape, taking a lot of the same grapes um, that they use for winemaking and doing a ferment and then distilling it into a spirit. So uh, eau de vie is um, really a very similar process. In Europe, they are taking very high-quality fruits that are freshly picked and getting them into fermentation as quickly as possible. And so you are getting really bright floral um representations of the fruit essence itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very similar to brandy except with peaches and blueberries and blackberries and plums and 
Um, in in Europe, there's all sorts of different uh, individually classified spirits that are based around fruit, but eau de vie is kind of a catch-all term for all of those fruit, okay. fruit brandies. But they are generally um, pretty clear, and they have uh, a very expressive bouquet um, and and taste of the fruit base that they're from. And, and up to high percentage and of alcohol. very high percentage. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, Let's when, talk about what's in yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More sweet, more alcohol. So when you started <laughs> seeing a lot of vodkas um, in the past, you know, eight years that started putting in flavorings, mm-hmm. you know, artificial flavorings. So it's like that except the real version, which is eau de vie. And, okay. and that's basically where they got all those ideas for coming up with flavored vodkas. Yeah. Was they trying just took to, their idea. Yeah, they were trying to represent eau de vies, but... Uh, you without know, all from, the work. Without <laughs> all the work, exactly. And, and none of the, you know, uh, delicious fresh fruit aromatics uh, get in there. And so it's yeah. really not a very similar product, but that's kind of what they were trying to emulate. Um, so are you guys going to do pair, like specific pairings on the menu with the, with the ciders and the brandies? Or Yeah. When I first got into the project, I tasted a lot of ciders with them and try to get different flavor profile. And that's pretty much what the basis of the menu is something that will definitely go along with cider. Okay, cool. We'll so probably have like a, a like a pairing mm-hmm. code, basically. Yeah. 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 So on I was wondering if it's like going to be on the menu or if they're changing often. If it's something that the you know the servers will know. Yeah, the servers know, like, are definitely going to uh, know and be able to steer people um, very similar to sommelier. Um, but we're going to have a pretty detailed structure within the menu that kind of has some suggested ciders to try with it. Right. Um, and as our menu changes and our available ciders change, that will constantly be updated and um, kept new cool. and fresh. That and, means that I have to do a lot of tasting. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bummer. <laughs> he has to make me cider. He has to make me cheese. Yeah. So and that's, uh, food. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. the super exciting part because the more different ciders he make, the more I have to kind of change the menu. And the right. more I change the menu, he has to match it with the cider, which is – I think match made in heaven when it comes to yeah. food and drink. And the more you get I really have to creative. Eat and drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My job's really hard, but somebody's yeah. going to do it. <laughs> Tough life. Tough life. But yeah, it sounds like a, yeah, like a really creative position for everybody involved. Um, you know, you get to bounce off each other from right. either end, and it's not just one direction. Right. You know, it's not just one focus. Um, and, and I think that's something we all thrive off of is sort of uh, creative expression. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you. Uh, in architecture school, um, uh, a lot of your projects are collaborative and you uh, kind of undergo this constant state of reanalysis and upping the game each time until you end up with your final product. And and that creative process has been going on with us and our menu and our ciders. And uh, so the longer uh, we work together, the better and better all of the products have become and and that will be a process that continues yeah and uh, it goes along with the brand of the you know temporary the changing always moving forward the you know creating new things so um i wanted to cover something we sort of uh glossed over it or i didn't get to it so um something people don't really understand is apples themselves and most people uh, go to the grocery store, they see four or five different apple varieties. 
So in the world of apples, uh, very similar to the world of wine and world of grapes, uh, there's about 1,400 different uh, types of apples um, that are commercially cultivated around the world, and they all are radically different flavors. So even within um, edible apples, um, if you think of a Granny Smith with that tartness and crispness and the flesh of the fruit versus a Red Delicious, you know, those are both apples, but the taste of them is on two different ends ends of the spectrum. So there are 1,400 of those. Right. <laughs> um, and the, and a lot of the ciders that people have tasted um, to date that aren't uh, experienced cider drinkers um, are mainly made from dessert apples, which are culinary apples and, and the ones you buy at the store. Um, the apples that we're going to be using for a lot of our stuff are what's called bittersweet and bitter sharp apples. And those are things like crab apples, Hughes crab apples, and um, Kingston blacks. Specialty produce has like all of the fourteen hundred <laughs> varieties. Yeah. Judy coming in clutch with the apples. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> as we're pulling in there, so uh, the the Hughes uh, crab apple and the Wixon crab apple are fantastic cider apples. But if you were to try and bite into one of those. Uh, it you would spit it out. They call right. them spitters. So um, <laughs> oh, we're going to add that to the website. So they spitters, yeah. Spitter oh, apples. AKA spitters, <laughs> AKA spitters. Um, so they make fantastic cider. So uh, they provide a lot of acidity um, to the to the base. Um, looking on the list here, uh, the the Cheviot Blancs um, are also that's a traditional French apple. Um, they use those in a lot of their French ciders. They have a lot of tannins. So one of the things that's um, really missing from dessert apples is a tannin structure. So similar to uh, your big red bold wines that dry your palate. Right. Um, so the tannin is kind of what makes you mm-hmm. cut, the, a little cotton mouth. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what really provides um, the depth of flavor uh, in good ciders in Europe is the tannin structure. And uh, a lot of the available apples um, in the U.S. just don't have that tannin structure. They don't have that bitterness. Um, in uh, the U.K., I think something like uh, 60% of their apples that they grow are tannin, either bitter sharp or bittersweet apples. In the U.S., it's like 2%. Yeah. So we just have uh, focused for a long time, really since Prohibition, on uh, edible apple varieties and baking apple varieties. So um, in the past right. five years, the Spitzenberg right there is one of my favorite apples. Um, oh, that, yeah. That's a great cider apple. So um, the New York um, Department of Agriculture is one of the biggest uh, – research bodies on um, apples, and they have been for 150 years or something. And uh, a lot of those, including that one, varieties of uh, bitter apples come from that New York uh, apple program. So a lot of them are named after towns in, in New York, and there's a, the the newer version of that is the Espis Spitzenberger, which is a town about... Uh, an hour outside New York City in the Hudson Valley. But 
Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, my boss is going actually to there's the Apple Festival. Yeah. In, wow. in I forget Kent or London or some I forget where exactly, but it's in October. He's going for like a week and taking a couple of our employees to just take photos and do research and get all the information. So Well, if you guys if you guys want to start carrying some more apples, I would love to get involved okay. and I can make some special requests. There you yeah. go. But I see it. <laughs> collaboration. I, I actually hadn't looked at your Apple program. There's a ton of them on there. Yeah. That so a lot really of these good. are really, you know, for the specially produced app, we go and, you know, so there's all the products yeah. that we do that, the research on. That Rubinette is also a really good cider apple. So oh, yeah. a, a lot of these are very hard to come by. So I'm I'm actually pretty impressed that you guys are carrying some of this. And oh, yeah, and it doesn't mean we're carrying them all. <laughs> That's the thing. This like, don't get too excited. Oh, it's just don't encyclopedia. Get too excited. Okay. But you like, can Whoa. click on all of them, and you can see at the top, see how it says inventory. So we have a lot of that information you can see, but sometimes we can get it. We just – if there's no market for it yeah. here, yeah. you know, we won't order well, it. Well, now you have a market. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah, we can see um, – we can work with our – our purchasers and see yeah. what the, what's yeah. available out there. That'd be great. We've so, gotten all these to take pictures, so they yeah. they came from somewhere. And it's really <laughs> cool, actually. You know, if people are sort of interested in agriculture, um, to go through and and look at a list of apples like this, because not only are the flavor profiles totally different, but um, the apples themselves, uh, some of them don't even look like apples. Um, there are, are some really cool varieties that are actually entirely pink on the inside. Um, oh, the hidden yeah. rose. Yeah. The hidden rose. The hidden rose is awesome. The, That's one of my favorite like apples. like a pink pearl. Yeah. And some of them are, are bright uh, mauve. And there's a, a cool apple called the winter banana that, um, Ooh, I never gets, heard that one. <laughs> gets sort of a sunburn on one side. So one side's a yellow apple and one side's oh. uh, wow. like a reddish cool. burgundy apple. I'm learning so much right now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very cool. There's there's a lot of uh, geekery that you can get into if you start <laughs> looking around at, at apple varieties. Yeah, so did you, um, for all this kind of research, have you, you've tried, like how many, can you say offhand <laughs> how many apples you've tried to make uh, cider with? <laughs> Oh, how how many I've made cider with? Yeah, uh, we've probably used forty to fifty varieties of apples for different That's recipes. Yeah, um, I've probably tried eighty or ninety varieties, maybe just something to see like that. Just to about eat, half, eat oh, them just to eat them. Yeah, in, in my lifetime, you know, anytime I see. Uh, so you can I, can you just tell from taking a bite into it yeah. if it's going to be a good cider apple yeah, so or not? Similar to you know a grape when you eat uh, Thompson seedless or edible grape, you know you can taste the acidity. You're working with kind of the same flavor elements, so you have the the actual flavor, and then you have the acidity and the tannin structure. And when you bite into an apple or bite into a grape, you can taste all those things and the sh- and the bricks level, the sugar level, mm-hmm. and you see how balanced it is. And uh, a lot of the European ciders are uh, made with blends, and a lot of ours will be made with blends where you are getting um, some of your acidity from something like a Hughes crab apple, and then you're getting some tannin structure from a different apple and some sweetness from, um, you know, some of the common uh, Golden Delicious type apples, you know, they have a ton of sugar in them. So you can use that right. to balance out the acidity and the tannin structure from one of your other varieties. So 
a lot of experimenting, yeah. but a lot of like chemistry in that. So both sides of the brain that you yeah. use when creating this stuff. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, and that's what will be cool about coming in the tasting room is, um, you know, we'll have on our menus and on our pairing guides sort of an explanation of how to taste the cider, uh, similar to how you would taste the wine, and um, explain kind of our four key uh, flavor components and and each of our ciders will have a rating system on acidity and on tannin and on sweetness and so as you start to see that and taste that you will learn what you like and you also learn what to look at when you're picking a cider out from us hopefully but mm-hmm. also from anybody else and when you go to the store if if uh, they have the bricks and the acidity levels on there you can kind of start to get it a better idea. A great educational component yeah, yeah. as well to all that stuff. So that's super interesting. I'm excited to see because I love that, you know, like the written out stuff and try this with this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like when you get education and a sort of a culture along with whatever you're tasting, whether it's food or drink, you feel more of a connection to mm-hmm. it and you really understand. And, and I think it really enhances the flavor too. If you understand the different elements that you're trying and why it tastes a certain way or, you know, what went into it that made it have that profile or why it pairs with a particular food yeah. for, for whatever reason. And, um, and specifically with uh, pairing with cheeses, you know, a lot of people do wine yeah. and, and cheese pairings. Well, when you do a uh, cider and cheese pairing, the you're going to be really shocked at how much different uh, a cheese can taste pre-drinking a cider. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we did we did that last week. Yeah, we, we went to Venissimo and did some cheese tasting with different ciders. Yeah, and it. Can... Are you going to have a Venissimo? Sorry. Oh, and... go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we're going to have a cheese board and then charcuterie board and a meat and cheese board on the menu. Yeah, and it's so tasting DJ's a cheese made charcuterie. Mm-hmm. Very good charcuterie, <laughs> I might add. Yeah. And pate. Yeah. And all, <laughs> all that jazz. Getting fancy. Like, can you open tomorrow, please? <laughs> <laughs> so getting to taste the cheese uh, pre and post drinking a certain cider will radically change the way that uh, cheese tastes on your palate. You'll pick up different fats or different acids from the cheese. It's it's uh, pretty cool. Fun. So... Um, we're on social media, and um, we've uh, we're at Bivouac Cider, B I V O U A C Cider, um, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And on Instagram, we've been basically posting like our progress along the way, amazing dishes that DJ has been making and experimenting with, um, some progress at the tap room and our, our building. And um, as you can see on the screen, there, Matt made me paint. The tap room. Which I'm so. going to do again right <laughs> after this. If, it, if, yeah. if, you, if you think it, it looks good, that was because I did it. <laughs> Taking compliments online yeah. now. Please, yeah. Paint job, amazing. <laughs> um, no, but we've been, we were just kind of, you know, it, we love being in San Diego. We love being a part of the San Diego business community. We've made a, a lot of friends. Um, you know, DJ and I have been going out and drinking and eating around town just to kind of like get influence from the best places in town. And um, that's been super fun. And, um, but you know, we, we are really, really excited about collaborations. And so any um, businesses in San Diego that want to pair up with us for, you know, whether it's food or drink or events, um, 
you know, REI does an outdoor school. Um, there's some running clubs in town. And, um, you know, we're, we're just really excited about collaboration. We're also doing a partnership with an organization called 1% for the Planet, um, where we donate a part of our proceeds to this organization that's focused on environmental issues. Um, and, you know, we, we want to carry through our values um, on the business side in the community and really be like an active member and a place where people can come and share ideas and share um, ways to make San Diego uh, a better place. And share cider. And, and share cider. Yeah. And, yeah. From, and for pronunciation <laughs> purposes, uh, if, you th- <laughs> if you think uh, Jack Kerouac, which is the same part of the, the bivouac mm-hmm. spelling, uh, we actually have a really cool quote by him in the tap room that uh, says, uh, "In the in the end, you will not remember the days spent in the office or out mowing the lawn. Get out and climb the damn mountain." Yeah. Um, and, and that really, later boss, later yeah. boss, yeah. yeah not, except at our tap room, you yeah. can't climb our walls. <laughs> Don't hang in the ceiling, please. Yeah. Uh, but, there may be ropes, but. But that'll help <laughs> yeah. people remember how to pronounce it. It's it's uh, similar like to Kerouac. Jack Kerouac. Oh yeah, Kickstarter. They're bringing up the kick. There you go. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's something I forgot <laughs> to ask about. Uh, yeah, Kickstarter. Hey. So um, that was a really awesome opportunity. You know, Kickstarter, I think, offers um, a great platform that we discovered during the process. Like our generation, or sort of millennials, and a little bit maybe ten years before millennials kind of gets the crowdfunding thing, but then the generations before that, like, didn't get it completely, Mm -hmm. whether it's the technological aspect or the, like, crowdfunding. um, Ethos. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we got a lot of mixed reviews on that. But um, ultimately, we just thought, you know, it's really cool for people to be a part of any community. And especially in a place like San Diego where – you know, it's a big city, but it's really a small town. And you get to know people really, really quickly. And we want everybody to feel like they're a part of this tap room. Like we want everybody in our shirts and we want everybody, you know, out there climbing or going on a hike and thinking about embracing their adventure, um, whether they're inside or outside. And, um, you know, so Kickstarter was like a really cool way to get our name out there and get community involvement. And um, it was awesome. We got We got a lot of sort of national recognition um, because people got excited about the project. Mm -hmm. And this has actually been really awesome. Um, We've been interviewing a lot of people to work in the tap room. um, And we're hiring, by the way, if anybody's listening and uh, (laughs) needs a job, we've got a lot of positions open. But um, no, we've been um, contacted by a lot of people who have said, you know, we, we saw your Kickstarter. We love your vibe we love what you're all about all about and we want to we just want to be a part of it and like we've had people that have you know day jobs and they just they want a part-time job because they just really believe in the product yeah Yeah. and they they either love cider or they love outdoors or they you know just kind of felt a part of the project Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we were going for so um and it was you know it's a good tie-in for us too because really um when you're offering a a product and a service like we are, it's it's about the end user and their experience and uh, being able to sort of get a group of people involved early on in, as we were planning and, and uh, coming up with a lot of our recipes and stuff that could provide us with input 
um, as to how we could do a better job at um, providing them with what they were looking for uh, was, you know, a tremendous part of the process. So, yeah, it's kind of like when you when you go camping or when you own a business too. It's like you get, you ha- it's a lot more fun when you have that, you know, everybody contributing their strengths right. or you know or their opinions or right. their ideas, you know, to make something feel more of a community. You know, and then you can enjoy a cider around, you know, exactly. like and hang out and, and, uh, and, you know, it's and more that's one of our other things that we, we say often is, you know, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. And, and that's really what we're trying to represent in the way that, uh, we are running our business and the way we are interacting with our community. And, um, we really want to elevate everyone and, and be a part of that experience. And, and, uh, that's probably, the most exciting part of the process for me, to be honest, is seeing, you know, someone like DJ come into our, our project and have an opportunity to do what he does at a, at a higher level and at a different um, vantage point than, than he'd gotten to experience before. And, and that for me is really rewarding. Yeah. I'm really excited about this project. Um, We're really excited to have you in. Yeah. It's going to be so fun. Um so I think we're going to wrap it up now. Um, so you guys, soon? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Only thirty minutes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, so thanks for coming in, Laura Austin, and I mean Laura. <laughs> sorry, Laura, Matt, and DJ. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for um, us. Yeah, check on um, Instagram, and we'll yeah. keep you updated on our progress about when we're opening. Hopefully, Yay. about a month or less. A yeah, month follow them. Follow them on Instagram. Um, we'll be in there. We'll be we'll be posting as well on Dine Local and Specialty Produce. So make sure you guys are signed up for the um, Dine Local email. It is dinelocalsc.com, and we'll put the announcements in there as well. And, and as a, a promotion for you guys, uh, anybody out there who hasn't worked with Specialty Produce, they're an awesome organization, <laughs> and they've been really helpful uh, as we've been doing food development and menu development to get us stuff and uh, suggest items and it's uh, been an awesome process. Yeah, definitely. We're happy to be part of the community. (laughs) Thanks for coming in, guys, and um, have a good one. Bye.